Chapter 9 of Liza of Lambeth by W. Somerset Maugham. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Hatton 43, blog de la quinzaine.wordpress.com. Thus began a time of love and joy. As soon as her work was over and she had finished tea, Liza would slip out and at some appointed spot meet Jim. Usually it would be at the church where the Westminster Bridge Road bends down to get to the river, and they would go off, arm in arm, till they came to some place where they could sit down and rest. Sometimes they would walk along the Albert Embankment to Battersea Park, and here sit on the benches, watching the children play. The female cyclist had almost abandoned Battersea for the parks on the other side of the river, but often enough one went by, and Liza, with the old-fashioned prejudice of her class, would look after the rider, and make some remark about her, not seldom more forcible than ladylike. Both Jim and she liked children, and tiny, ragged urchins would gather round to have rides on the man's knees or mock fights with Liza. They thought themselves far away from anyone in Veer Street, but twice, as they were walking along, they were met by people they knew. Once it was two workmen coming home from a job at Vauxhall. Liza did not see them till they were quite near. She immediately dropped Jim's arms, and they both cast their eyes to the ground as the men passed, like ostriches, expecting that if they did not look up, they would not be seen. "'Did you see him, Jim?' asked Liza in a whisper when they had gone by. "'I wonder if they see us.' Almost instinctively she turned round, and at the same moment one of the men turned too. Then there was no doubt about it. "'That did give me a turn,' she said. "'So it did me,' answered Jim. "'I simply went all over.' We was bally fools, said Liza. We ought to have spoken to him. Do you think they'll let out? They heard nothing of it. When Jim afterwards met one of them in a public house, he did not mention a meeting, and they thought that perhaps they had not been recognised. But the second time was worse. It was on the Albert Embankment again. They were met by a party of four, all of whom lived in the street. Liza's heart sank within her, for there was no chance of escape. She thought of turning quickly and walking in the opposite direction, but there was not time, for the men had already seen them. She whispered to Jim, Back us up. And as they met, she said to one of the men, Hello, are there? Where are you off to? The men stopped, and one of them asked the question back, Where are you off to? Me? Oh, I've just been to the hospital. One of the gals at our place is queer, and so I says to myself, I'll go and see her. She faltered a little as she began, but quickly gathered herself together lying fluently and without hesitation. And when I come out, she went on, who should I see just passing the hospital but this here cove? And he says to me, what cheer, says he, I'm going to Vauxhall. Come and walk a bit of the way with us. All right, says I, I don't mind if I do. One man winked and another said, go it, Liza. She fired up with the dignity of outraged innocence. What do you mean by that, she said. Do you think I'm kidding? Kidding? No. You've only just come up from the country, ain't you? Think I'm kidding? What do you think I want to kid for? Liars never believe anyone, that's fact. Now then, Liza, don't be saucy. Saucy? I'll smack you in the eye if you say much to me. Come on, she said to Jim, who had been standing sheepishly by, and they walked away. The men shouted, Now nah, we shan't be long, and went off laughing. After that, they decided to go where there was no chance at all of being seen. They did not meet till they got over Westminster Bridge, and thence they made their way into the park. 
they would lie down on the grass in one another's arms and thus spend the long summer evenings. After the heat of the day, there would be a gentle breeze in the park, and they would take in long breaths of the air. It seemed far away from London, it was so quiet and cool, and Liza, as she lay by Jim's side, felt her love for him overflowing to the rest of the world, and enveloping mankind itself in a kind of grateful happiness. If it could only have lasted, they would stay and see the stars shine out dimly, one by one, from the blue sky, till it grew late, and the blue darkened into black, and the stars glittered in thousands all above them. But as the nights grew cooler, they found it cold on the grass, and the time they had there seemed too short for the long journey they had to make. So crossing the bridges before, they strolled along the embankment till they came to a vacant bench, and there they would sit, with Liza nestling close up to her lover, and his great arms around her. The rain of September made no difference to them. They went on as usual to their seat beneath the trees, and Jim would take Liza on his knee, and opening his coat, shelter her with it, while she, with her arms round his neck, pressed very close to him, and occasionally gave a little laugh of pleasure and delight. They hardly spoke at all through these evenings, for what had they to say to one another? Often, without exchanging a word, they would sit for an hour, their faces touching, the one feeling on his cheek the hot breath from the other's mouth, while at the end of the time the only motion was an upraising of Liza's lips, a bending down of Jim's, so that they might meet and kiss. Sometimes Liza fell into a light doze, and Jim would sit very still for fear of waking her, and when she roused herself she would smile while he bent down again and kissed her. They were very happy. But the hours passed by so quickly that Big Ben striking twelve came upon them as a surprise, and unwillingly they got up and made their way homewards. Their partings were never-ending. Each evening, Jim refused to let her go from his arms, and tears stood in his eyes at the thought of the separation. I'd give something, he would say, if we could be together always. Never mind, old chap, Liza would answer, herself half-crying. It can't be helped, so we must jolly well lump it. But notwithstanding all their precautions, people in Veer Street appeared to know. First of all, Liza noticed that the woman did not seem quite so cordial as before, and she often fancied they were talking of her. When she passed by, they appeared to look at her, then say something or other, and perhaps burst out laughing. But when she approached, they would immediately stop speaking, and keep silence in a rather awkward, constrained manner. For a long time, she was unwilling to believe that there was any change in them, and Jim, who had observed nothing, persuaded her that it was all fancy. But gradually it became clearer, and Jim had to agree with her that somehow or other people had found out. Once, when Liza had been talking to Polly, Jim's daughter, Mrs. Blakeston had called her. When the girl had come to her mother, Liza saw that she spoke angrily, and they both looked across at her. When Liza caught Mrs. Blakeston's eye, she saw in her face a surly scowl, which almost frightened her. She wanted to brave it out, and stepped forward a little, to go and speak with the woman. But Mrs. Blakeston, standing still, looked so angrily at her, that she was afraid to. When she told Jim, his face grew dark, and he said, Blast the woman, I'll give her what for if she says anything to you. Don't strike her, whatever happens, will you, Jim? said Liza. She'd better take care, then, he answered. And he told her that lately his wife had been sulking, and not speaking to him. The previous night, on coming home after the day's work, and bidding her good evening, she had turned her back on him without answering. 
Can't you answer when you spoke to? He had said. Good evening, she had replied sulkily, with her back still turned. After that, Liza noticed that Polly avoided her. What's up, Polly? she said to her one day. He never speaks now. Have you had your tongue cut out? Me? I get nothing to speak about that I knows of, answered Polly, abruptly walking off. Liza grew very red, and quickly looked to see if anyone had noticed the incident. A couple of youths sitting on the pavement had seen it, and she saw them nudge one another and wink. Then the fellows about the street began to chaff her. You look pale, said one of a group to her one day. You're overworking yourself, you are, said another. Married life don't agree with Liza, that's what it is, added a third. Who do you think you're getting at? I am married and never like to be, she answered. Liza has all the pleasures of a husband and none of the trouble. Blimey, if I know what you mean, said Liza. Nah, of course not. You don't know nothing, do you? Innocent as a babe. Our father would chart in heaven. Haven't been in London long, have you? They spoke in chorus, and Liza stood in front of them, bewildered, not knowing what to answer. Don't you make no mistake about it, Liza knows a thing or two. Oh, me darling, I love you fit to kill, but take care your missus ain't round the corner. This was particularly bold, and they all laughed. Liza felt very uncomfortable, and fiddled about with her apron, wondering how she could get away. Take care you don't get into trouble, that's all, said one of the men, with burlesque gravity. You might give us a chance, Liza. You come out with me one evening. You ought to give us all a turn, just to show there's no ill feeling. Blimey, if I know what you're talking about, you're all balmy on the crumpet, said Liza indignantly, and turning her back on them, made for home. Among other things that had happened was Sally's marriage. One Saturday, a little procession had started from Veer Street, consisting of Sally, in a state of giggling excitement, her fringe magnificent after a whole week of curling papers, clad in a perfectly new velveteen dress, the colour known as electric blue, and Harry, rather nervous and ill at ease, in the unaccustomed restraint of a collar. These two walked arm in arm, and were followed by Sally's mother and uncle, also arm in arm, and the procession was brought up by Harry's brother and a friend. They started with a flourish of trumpets and an old boot, and walked down the middle of Veer Street, accompanied by the neighbours' good wishes, but as they got into the Westminster Bridge Road and nearer to the church, the happy couple grew silent, and Harry began to perspire freely so that his collar gave him perfect torture. There was a public house just opposite the church, and it was suggested that they should have a drink before going in. As it was a solemn occasion, they went into the private bar, and there Sally's uncle, who was a man of means, ordered six pots of beer. Feeling a bit nervous, Harry? asked his friend. Nah, said Harry, as if he had been used to getting married every day of his life. A bit warm, that's all. You're very good out, Sally, said her mother, lifting her mug. This is the last time I shall ever address you as Miss. And may she be as good a wife as you was, added Sally's uncle. Well, I don't think my old man ever had no complaint to make about me. I did my duty by him, although it's me as says it, answered the good lady. Well, mates, said Harry's brother, I reckon it's about time to go in. So here's to the health of Mr. Henry Atkins and his future missus. And God bless him, said Sally's mother. Then they went into the church, and as they solemnly walked up the aisle, a pale-faced young curate came out of the vestry and down to the bottom of the chancel. The beer had had a calming effect on their troubled minds, and both Harry and Sally began to think it a rather good joke. They smiled on each other, 
and at those parts of the service which they thought suggestive, violently nudged one another in the ribs. When the ring had to be produced, Harry fumbled about in different pockets, and his brother whispered, Swap me Bob, he's gone and lost it. However, all went all right, and Sally, having carefully pocketed the certificate, they went out and had another drink to celebrate the happy event. In the evening, Liza and several friends came into the couple's room, which they had taken in the same house as Sally had lived in before, and drank the help of the bride and bridegroom till they thought fit to retire. End of chapter 9